Pastor Xavier Reese with a caution for the responsibilities attached to freedom. Fire, depending on how it's used, can either be beneficial or destructive. Being used correctly, it could warm a house, cook food. However, if fire is used incorrectly, it can waste the woodlands, even devastate an entire city. Christian liberty is the same, ladies and gentlemen, when used correctly or extremely incorrectly. It can benefit or it can destroy. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Any student of history can see that with freedom comes responsibility. Well, the same is true in the life of the follower of God as well. Today, Pastor Xavier takes us back to the New Testament book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 10, as he helps shed some light on the importance of living a life that combines liberty with the dictates of Scripture. Let's listen. The message entitled, How Do You Exercise Your Liberty? Paul is warning the Corinthians about a real danger. Listen, with idolatry. Don't let the different accounts fool you. It's all idolatry and what comes out of it. Notice Paul wanted the Corinthians to have a proper understanding about the blessings of Israel from God first. He says, I do not want you to be unaware, but to comprehend and understand the responsibility of their high privilege that brought consequences. Connect the dots. All had literally partaken of the privilege of being set free, being liberated. All were endowed with privilege of freedom, but discarded it. The Apostle Paul wanted the Corinthians to know that even though all were endowed with privilege, yet they became presumptuous in their liberty and entangled themselves again in sin. Notice, secondly, he moves on, verse 6 to 13, the exhortation regarding Israel's presumptuousness in their liberty. In verse 6, the Apostle Paul declared, these events of history were lessons for believers delivered from the bondage of the world and sin. Mark it well here. Now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also did. Here's the parallel. And he includes himself along with the Corinthians that we should not lust after evil things as also they did. Here's the parallel. It was a real sin, real consequence back there, it has to be the same here, okay? Notice he makes a parallel regarding the Corinthians' strong desire of the flesh to Israel, life coming out of Egypt. Their attitudes and desires for the things of the world, the leeks, the onions, the melons, mmm, stinking manna. The Corinthians had been delivered from sin in the world, yet some were in the midst of idolatry still. The Apostle Paul declared the warning of history should be heeded. And do not become idolaters as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and they rose up to play. He literally is saying, stop becoming idolaters, imperative present. The word play means sexually, equivalent to the Hebrew word in Genesis 26, eight, where Abraham and Sarah, as husband, were being affectionate with one another. <laughs> you see... Idolatry and sexual sin always go together. Always. When a woman idolizes a man, then she sacrifices herself, and that's his goal, 
to have her. Notice verse 8, Paul stated the warning against sexual immorality. Nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 fell. He said they were not to commit sexual sin as believers and includes himself to the, in the present active. It's very straightforward. The young man sleeping with a stepmother, we already covered. Chapter 5, verse 1 through 5. So it was happening. He's already dealt with visiting the prostitutes of the temple and becoming one and making Christ one with them in chapter 6, verse 15. Look at 9. Paul stated the warning was against tempting God. Nor let us tempt Christ. And he makes it very clear now to their point in Christ Jesus. As some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. He includes himself again. Let, nor let us. The word tempt means to prove or test, provoking Christ. They spoke against God and Moses in the text. They despised the manna. The people, again, is some. They tempted an intensified form here to challenge God to see how far they could go. It's like your children, my children when they were little. They're going to press you to see how far they can go. Listen, if you see how far you can go, God won't disappoint you. They tested the Lord 10 times, Numbers 14, 22 says. It's not very much. How many times have I disappointed the Lord? Tempted the Lord. Wow. They were destroyed by serpents. The word destroy there means for their dissatisfaction with the restrictions of manna. That's the context. It's stinking manna. Man, I want leeks. I want onions. Mm, melons. Mm. Some Corinthians were dissatisfied with the restrictions of their new faith, meddling with idle feasts. He's already mentioned it. He's hitting it hard here. Look at 10. Paul stated the warning was complaining against God's choices. Nor complain as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. Numbers 14, 37 and Numbers 16, verse 1 and 2. He pointed out when the Lord sent the plague to those who brought the evil report of the land in Numbers 14, 37. They discouraged the people. Oh, Wall cities, giants, we can't take it. But Caleb and Joshua, oh yeah, we can take it. The good report. The number again is some. The destroyer in Egypt was the angel of death, Exodus 12, 23. The destroyer in the wilderness is also gone. Okay? He pointed out Korah and the 250 men who rebelled against God's choice of Aaron and Moses. Aaron the priest, Moses the leader. Number 16, 2. That's a complaint. Moses, Aaron, you take too much on yourself. Do you think God can only speak and use you guys? Why? Well, I don't know. He says, let's, let's just ask God to do something weird. If God's displeased with us, then let him do something weird to take our life. But if not, let, let's just say, um, let, let's ask him to open up the earth and swallow you up. And that's exactly what happened. He knew the Corinthians were beginning to complain and question Paul's authority as a representative of God. As the Israelites against Moses. Same thing's happening. There's a parallel. Learn from history. Look at 11 through 13. The Apostle Paul declared understanding the history would make them wise. Verse 11, Paul pointed out that the historical events were recorded for their benefit. Now all these things happened to them as examples that they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. He stated the things that have happened to them as examples. 
The word or the verb there happened is an imperfect tense indicating repeated times for the 40 years. It was not just one time, over and over and over again. We have plenty of material, Paul is saying, to learn from. These were trustworthy records to learn from, and they needed to connect those dots. Then he stated they were written for our admonition. Written graffles recorded and scribed in the era's passive here indicating the true fact and God is the agent to preserve that. God has preserved these records, chosen these records so that you and I might learn from them. They didn't have New Testament. All they had was the Old Testament. You understand? Now we have the New Testament which is greater accountability and responsibility. They were for the Corinthians and Paul. For our admonition which means for the instruction and training of the word against presumptuousness, abusive liberty. He stated the time in history they occupied upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Notice the Corinthians and Paul were living in the last period of history, the church age. It will close one day as the Lord comes for the church and removes her from the earth. Notice 12, Paul pointed out that understanding our own vulnerability to sin will protect us. Therefore, let him who thinks he stand take heed lest he fall. He stated the strong warning to the pride of the Corinthians, meaning to be of the opinion that he stands fixed, unmovable. Well, the Corinthians had it bad, pride. Notice he stated that the potential of all humans is to fall into sin. The context regards idolatry, fornication, temptation, tempting God, and complaining even as Israel. Now he directs it to the Corinthians in their presumptuous smugness of knowledge, wisdom, and their liberty that could result in falling into sin. Like the book of Hebrews tells about Israel in the wilderness, Hebrews 3, 12, and 13. It's exact parallel. The warning. The personal responsibility was to take heed. Notice that. To perceive, to discern the danger of falling into sin. The possibility? Listen. Lest he fall into sin. Look at 13. Paul pointed out the promise. No person is tempted in a unique way from any other person. Listen to the words. No temptation has overtaken you except such as common man. Be careful the person says, well, you don't understand. And because you haven't gone what they go through, then you say, oh, okay, no, no, no. They're just like you, a creep, a sinner. They go through the same things you do. There's no special sinner. <laughs> the word temptation means to entice in a bad sense. The external evil steers my sin nature residing still in me until the day I die. No person can say God has failed him in their temptation. Listen again. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. What God allows to come into our lives, he will give the enablement to be victorious. What we allow to bring into our lives, we tempt ourselves and often are not victorious. Every person can know God will provide the way of victory in temptation that God brings. Listen, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. No testing that is from God will ever overtake you, for he cannot tempt man with evil, 
James 1 through 13. If God allows something to come into my life, he's prepared me for the test. I'm to be studied up for the test, and I'll be able to pass the test. But it's up to me. God always provides the way of escape, but it is up to us to take that escape. By denying it, by fleeing from it, and the article is present, expressing purpose of result for victory. Every person can be sure God will provide the needed endurance that you may be able to bear it, making us ever dependent on him, making us never dependent on ourselves. Fire, depending on how it's used, can either be beneficial or destructive. Beneficial, being used correctly, it could warm a house, cook food, be used as a romantic atmosphere for a night out with your wife or your husband. However, if fire is used incorrectly, it can waste the woodlands, destroy a house, even devastate an entire city. Christian liberty is the same, ladies and gentlemen, when used correctly or extremely incorrectly. It can benefit or it can destroy. Do you take the historical facts of the Bible as lessons for your life, or do you think that you are the exception? Do you learn from God's warning to others as you see their lives? Do you learn from God's judgment on others? Do you learn from God's consistent pattern as to how he deals with his people to live your life out? Do you think yourself beyond the sins mentioned by Paul here? Idolatry has the worship of a person at times, too often. Money, your car, your bank account, yourself, whatever it may be, whatever the master passion of your life is. Sexual immorality that today is called affairs, relationships, or whatever. Some people say, well, he's out there sowing his oats. It's such a stupid statement. Tempting God by thinking he will wink at our sin, or worse yet, thinking that he's altogether indifferent towards it. Galatians 5.13 says, For if you, brethren, have been called to liberty, only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. The simple knowledge that the Holy Spirit is the only one that can enable me to do the will of God and to please God. Not myself. The simple knowledge that prayer is to align myself with the will and the purposes of God, not simply to get things from God. Second Peter chapter 1, 3 through 4 says that we're to know that God has given to us through his divine power all things pertaining to life and godliness through precious promises that we might escape the corruption of the world. That means everything he allows, everything he comes in I'm confronted with, I'm able to get over it. I'm able to be victorious. This is the exhortation regarding Israel's presumptuousness in their liberty. So it's an encouragement and a warning at the same time, right? But the choice is up to the individual, right? Remember the fly and the flypaper? <laughs> if he picks the sticky side, he's dead. If he picks the other side, he has at least one more chance. Notice thirdly, 14 through 22, the application regarding Israel's sin through their liberty. 14 and 15, the Apostle Paul made the reasonable proclamation. Don't miss it. 
In 14, Paul pointed out they were to stay away from idolatry at Corinth. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Very clear. This is the only logical conclusion after the three chapters. He revealed the relationship between idolatry and fornication. He mentioned the case already of the, the visiting the prostitutes and becoming one with them in chapter 6, the young man in chapter 5 with his stepmother. This is the imperative command. Brotherly love, my beloved. But he's commanding. Look at 15. He pointed out they were wise, able to agree with his conclusion. I speak... As to wise men, judge for yourselves what I say. He called them wise, intelligent, prudent. What a change. Paul began the letter contrasting the wisdom of man and wisdom of God, which they were leaning to. Paul rebuked them for leaning to the wisdom of man and knowledge. Paul now compliments them, implying they were, le they were learning his instructions. So as a father, spiritual father, he is giving them the benefit of the doubt that they're connecting the dots. This is what he's praying for. No parent is trying and hoping and praying their child disobeys so they can whack them. They're instructing and warning that they may connect the dots. He stated a command, not a suggestion. The word judge, again, is the imperative heiress active. He was saying, make a definite and final decision that needs not to be made again. When we come to Christ, we make all our decisions. Now we have to just every day stick to them. When a woman and a man come to the altar, they get married. They've made that decision once and for all, and every day they have to be faithful to it. Look at 16 through 18. Then the apostle Paul made the reasonable observation. He pointed out the obvious oneness they have with Christ. He stated, the cup and blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? Yes! They had repented. They were born again. The cup represents the blood of Christ for the sins of the world. We bless, he says, present tense. The third cup of the Passover was a prayer of blessing over it. That's what he's talking about. Then he stated the bread which we break. Is it not the communion of the body of Christ? Yes. They're rhetorical questions, obvious answers. The bread represents the Lord's body broken for man. We break, meaning the bread, present tense. The brokenness was in the scourging, not in the literal brokenness of a bone, because not a bone was broken, John 19.33, in fulfillment. He stated both represented the communion of the body of Christ. The word koinonia is one, is participation, partnership. You become one with God. They had come to Christ, but they're double dating God. <laughs> Look at 17. Paul pointed out the obvious oneness with each other in the body of Christ. He stated, for we, though many, are one bread and one body. He'll deal with that in chapter 12, the different parts of the body and the gifts. He stated, for we all partake of the one bread, the body of Christ. We're all one in Christ. And in 18, he pointed out the obvious parallel with Israel becoming one by sacrifice. Here he makes the parallel again. He says, observe Israel after the flesh. Are not those who eat of the sacrifice partaker of the altar? Yes, it is. Absolutely. So he makes the parallel. They're one with God. Now look at 19 through 22. The apostle Paul made the reasonable interpretation. The bottom line here. Paul pointed in verse 19 what he was not saying. That's good. Listen. What am I saying then? That an idol is nothing? Or anything? 
or what is offered to an idol as anything? No. He was not attempting to teach them that an idol was nothing, an offering was uh, nothing or anything. He's already done that in chapter 8, verse 4 and 8. But what Paul is saying, now he gives. First what he's not saying, now what he is saying, verse 20. But rather, that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice the demons and not the God. And I do not want you to have fellowship with demons. He's talking to Christians. He was teaching them the relationship between idol sacrifice and demons. He was teaching them that the Gentiles sacrifice the demons, not the God. He desired that they not have fellowship with demons. And he's quoting Deuteronomy 32, 17, pointing to the reality of the evil spirit world. Ephesians 6, 12, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, principalities, power, dominion, darkness. He's saying you're Christians. You've accepted Christ. What are you doing messing with idol feast? Why are you associating yourself with idolatry? Verse 21 through 22 Paul pointed out the obvious conclusion about being a Christian. He stated, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and the table of demons. They cannot be drinking or partaking of both being inconsistent and contradictory. He's connecting the dots for them. That's what he's doing. He says, or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Hopefully the answer is no. <laughs> Only an idiot will say Yes. Are we stronger than he? No. The correct answer to both of these rhetorical questions is no. To partake of both would be to ignore all that he has said and to provoke God, meaning to incite God in rivalry in the present active tense like the Israelis did in the Old Testament. You get the parallel? You connect the dots? Placing them in the same position as those who fell in the wilderness. Some have already fallen, chapter 11, verse 30. He's afraid that others will fall, chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians. They were not to be enticed by idols or fear them, but they were to fear God. The jealousy of the Lord is selfless. His love is pure and protective for us. He knows he's the best thing for us. To think we are stronger than God is arrogance, thinking we are able to resist and overcome him. Paul has in mind here the song of Moses as Israel's unfaithfulness provoking God to wrath by the idols, Deuteronomy 32, 21. Learn from history, he says. In a similar manner, each of us as Christians have liberty in many areas, but sometimes we would be wiser to restrain ourselves. Each of us should be wise enough to judge the relationships to certain things that we have the freedom to do but could lead us back into sin and we'd be wise to flee from them. Can a man take fire to his bosom and not, his clothes not burn? No, it will burn, Proverbs 6, 27. What is Paul saying? Christian, do not be presumptuous when it comes to sin. This is the application regarding Israel's sin through their liberty. Wow. Paul warned the Corinthians through Israel's abuse of their freedom, marked by these three things. The revelation regarding Israel's liberty. He wanted them to connect the dots, not just know information. The exhortation regarding Israel's presumptuousness in their liberty. And the application regarding Israel's sin through their liberty. Such needed and 
information and instruction for us if we connect the dots. Pastor Xavier Reese with a challenge to believers to honor God in their choices while invoking liberties in Christ. Now, if you've missed any part of this important study or perhaps wish to pass it along to a friend, you can request a copy, and it's simply titled, How Do You Exercise Your Liberty? It's available on CD for just $4. By the way, this message will contain everything that Pastor Xavier shared last time as well. The title to ask for once again is, How Do You Exercise Your Liberty? Or simply mention today's date when you write, Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for including the call letters of this station when you contact us. Next time, Pastor Xavier Reese presents a superior plan for accomplishing order and effectiveness when it comes to submission and authority. Hope you'll join us then for more Simple Truths. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California www.calvarychapelpasadena.com